Okay, everybody, and welcome back to the Musical Splaining Podcast. I am your host, Kava Teherian. With me, as always, is our friend... Your other host, uh, the perpetually late and <laughs> never on <laughs> dearth of punctuality, is actually... Because, you know, Lindsay is a uh, traditional English name, and it means never punctual. Punctual. Lindsay Ellis. Wow. And, wow. and today we're joined by our Sir George Martin, our fifth Beatle. <laughs> uh, maybe our fourth Beatle, I guess, because it's usually yeah, the three yeah. of us. It's yeah. you, me, and the Paul. Ringo. <laughs> yeah. Uh, our fourth Beatle, Miss Angie Mian. I, I'm the Ringo. Yeah. Like, I mean, everybody loves Ringo. Ringo's That's the true. one that everybody agrees on. He's the most, he like, he kept up with the times, right? And yeah. now Ringo as like a life philosophy is much more applicable now than he was in the 60s. Oh, absolutely. He survived. He was a yeah. survivor. And that's exactly. really, in the end, you know, <laughs> yes. counts. So it's not a slight. It's it's a compliment to say. No. I, uh, today, we're going to talk about a certain musical called Sweeney Todd. Yeah. Woo. Yay. Sweeney Todd. Not Sweeney Todd. We have Angie here as the resident Sondheim expert because you know what I don't love is <laughs> Stephen Sondheim. Sondheim. I think it's like the one thing we disagree on. Like, yeah, this is like our only. It's our only like major thing. Yeah, because um, I just to be clear, I don't hate Sondheim. He just does nothing for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I guess Sweeney Todd in particular. I think the reason you liked it as a teenager was very was the main reason I didn't like it. Mm-hmm. So uh, Kava, what are you familiar with? Uh, regarding Sweeney Todd and the works of Stephen Sondheim. Uh, I'm familiar with the name Stephen Sondheim. I've heard it before. Mm-hmm. Didn't he do Sound of Music? I have no idea, right? <laughs> yes, yes. Yes, he did. Yes. He's written, uh, it ended with an Ein. Yeah, Rodgers and Hammerstein, right? They're, yeah, they're the yeah, ones yeah, that did yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. That was an actual joke. Oh, was it? Oh. Yeah, oh, I know. Yeah. I'm getting now better. I'm the one wow. who doesn't know gullibles in the dictionary. <laughs> uh, I, the only thing I know about it is the uh, the Tim Burton movie that came out a few years ago. Was it 2005, six somewhere around there? It's 2007, yeah. I think. Yeah. Yeah. It was a couple years after um, Corpse Bride. Yeah, I know he just yeah. like chops people's heads off and it's bloody and shit. Like, that's all I know, which sounds cool. But that's really that's the extent of what, what else did Sondheim do? So uh, Into the Woods, A Little Night Music. If you know a Sondheim song, you probably know Send in the Clowns because it's been used oh, in, in I only everything. know that from Simpsons, like everything. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Same. Like everybody Same. does. Send in the clowns. I know Send in the Clowns through The Simpsons. Um, uh, Into the Woods, Sunday in the Park with George, uh, a company, um, kind of the monster of American musical theater, at least since like the 1960s. He's arguably influenced musical theater more than any living composer besides Andrew Lloyd Webber. And yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah it's, it, there's there's a sort of interesting dichotomy there between the two of them because mm-hmm. I I guess I kind of considered them contemporaries, which is which is apparently wrong because uh, uh, Sondheim is like 20 years older than Lloyd Webber and still alive, by the way. They're yeah. both still alive. He's still kicking. But like I feel I feel like I considered them contemporaries because like their biggest hits in my mind anyway kind of happened around the same time mm. like Sweeney Todd came out uh, like within a couple years of Cats and then Into the Woods came 
out the same year as Phantom and famously lost oh. the Tony. Yeah. To fa- <laughs> all yeah. of the Tonys to Phantom. It, it definitely is, lost Best Musical to Phantom. And I, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and uh, uh, I like at least a couple of the acting ones. So um, it, it remains a controversy among musical theater fans. But I think also like Sondheim is, is kind of considered like the thinking man's musical theater composer, mm. where Andrew Lloyd Webber is like the the big dumbasses. Yeah. He's like, you know, the, yeah. the musical theater for moms, which is yeah. why I'm like Lloyd Webber's the good one. So Sondheim's like the Christopher Nolan of musicals, basically, is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. The plot's really complicated I, and I'd say he's more like the um oh my gosh. Uh I'm, his name's escaping me. The guy who did um uh uh like the master and uh, Paul Thomas Anderson. Be, Paul Thomas thank you so much. Yeah. And like yeah, like Phantom Thread. So <laughs> and, and and Andrew Lloyd Webber is Michael Bay. Okay. Yeah. So, so obviously my heart belongs to Andrew Lloyd <laughs> So you're just you're just you're just making me love Andrew Lloyd Webber more with these comparisons. So yeah. wh- what's like his his ma- what's known as his like his biggest one, like his most famous, like his most revered? I'd say probably Into the Woods or Sunday okay. in the Park with George. See, I'd say it's Sweeney Todd. Sweeney Todd's probably the most popular, but I think when you get down to it and you ask people who really love Sondheim, it's Into the it's Into the Woods or Sweeney Todd, I think, are his most popular. Into the Woods is probably the one that everyone loves the most. And Lindsay gave me the choice between Into the Woods or Sweeney Todd, but I picked Sweeney Todd because I think it would be more fun. Like, it's definitely ridiculous. So, okay. Yeah. It's definitely the most ridiculous of uh, Sondheim shows. And I was actually doing a little bit of reading right before, but um, I have like this mm-hmm. big book of lyrics of his compiled lyrics. And the big note that he had for Sweeney Todd before this was that growing up, he didn't really care so much for musical theater, or opera, or anything like that, but he loved movie scores and especially Bernard Herman. And he would go and see movies that had been scored by Bernard Herman and then come home and try to play them out. And this is his love letter to Bernard Herman, which makes oh, that sounds cool. A ton of sense. Yeah. <laughs> when you actually do watch it. I hadn't put that together and now I'm like, huh. Yeah. Okay. So it's it's kind of his love letter to to suspense. But Sweeney Todd, the subject matter itself is like the character from a Penny Dreadful from 1840s London that, you know, has kind of been adapted into pantomime so many years in like the last two centuries. Um, and this approach takes it less of a pantomime and more of like a dark thriller. So, Kava, if you'd like to uh, to read us some Todd stats. OK, so Sweeney Todd, lyrics and music by Stephen Sondheim. It's premiere at the Eurus Theater, now the Gershwin Theater, home of Wicked in New York City on March first 1979 where was this theater in relation to the virgin megastore Lindsay? um it would have been about five blocks north but it was right across the street from uh the winter garden oh where we saw beetlejuice yes yes and where i saw cats and and where you saw a cat's original the, the great you saw the uh the voice of a generation yes. yeah where you got to see where musical theater really found its, its, it's, voice. it's <laughs> it planted a seed like 25 years before yeah. it was yeah. gonna pay off uh, okay, so it did 557 performances and 19 previews. Uh, what, is that like a big number? I don't know. For that time, yeah. For that time, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah? This okay. was like before the days of like Andrew Lloyd Webber shows running for 30 years, so. <laughs> yeah, now it's like, I think Beetlejuice ran for like less than 300 shows or would have run for like about 400 shows and mm-hmm. is considered a failure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> as, as, as a point of comparison, like running two years was like a lot. Yeah, that was, that was a day. good thing. Okay. Yeah, it was good. Um, okay, so I'll just go to the summary real quick. So Sweeney Todd tells the story of Benjamin Barker, 
now using the name Sweeney Todd, a barber who was wrongfully sent to a penal colony for 15 years and has now returned to London. Unfortunately, he finds that Judge Turpin, the man who sentenced him to prison, has also destroyed Barker's family in his absence. With the help of his downstairs neighbor, a down-on-her-luck pie vendor named Mrs. Lovett. <laughs> okay, that's absurd. Because fucking neighbors don't help you do shit when you're in an apartment <laughs> complex. They just fucking drive you crazy. Anyway. They help you do... I mean, they'll help you if it's murder. Yeah, yeah that's true. That tracks. Fucking pie vendor? Why can't I live next to fucking pie vendors? Fuck this. <laughs> I just have a bunch of shitty neighbors. Well, she's not the fun kind. No. So like, we'll put it that way. <laughs> a down-on-her-luck pie vendor named Mrs. Lovett, the wrong Sweeney Todd, picks up his razor once more and starts down a bloody path of vengeance that ends in tragedy. Uh, it was nominated for nine Tonys and it won eight, including Best Musical, Best Actor for Len Kiru, Kairu, Kiru, 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 Best Actress for Angela Lansbury. Fucking Murder She Wrote was in this. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah, oh, she plays Mrs. Lovett. Yeah, <laughs> it's she's one of those people that you know. I'm sure everybody else thinks this as a kid, where like you know them as an old person, so you don't remember or you don't realize that they were once I, young. I don't know. She's been like 70 since the 70s. <laughs> That's exactly yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The version that we're gonna watch, like she sounds like Mrs. Potts. Yeah, like, she's, she has the same voice. Yeah. And with what Mrs. Lovett's about, it's really surreal hearing Angela Lansbury's voice, too. Like, it's great. <laughs> Vending pies. Uh, yeah. It won Best Book of a Musical, Best Direction of a Musical, Best Costume Design, and Best Scenic Design. And Best Score. Yeah. And Best Score. Yeah. Let's talk about, like, the different productions than the one we are going to watch. Because yeah. I believe the one we are going to watch is actually the original Broadway cast from 1979. Yes. Yeah, so what this is is actually the original touring cast. So this show uh, actually had two national tours right after it won the Tonys. And this is taped in Los Angeles, I believe, on the first leg of the first national tour. It has about a third of the original Broadway cast, and including Angela Lansbury. So she is on this recording. Uh, this version was staged by Hal Prince, who also directed Phantom of the Opera. So I think Woo. that's a good thing to keep in mind because Hal Prince is kind of like... A bad director? <laughs> You have so many people putting you on so many lists right now. (laughs) All I know is Phantom of the Opera. We talked about this where the staging is just I'm standing here singing a song and then I'm going to stand here and sing a song. (laughs) And then I got mad about that. So I stand by that. My one thing. Hal Prince has directed like almost every big musical between. He passed away this year. This year seemed like it's been 10 years. So maybe 2019. (laughs) A decade ago. Yeah. But he passed away about he passed away 800 years ago in. January, I think. But um, he directed pretty much every big musical from like the 50s into going into the 90s, really, I think is when he started to kind of retire. And even then, Mm. he was still involved in a bunch of stuff. But he takes the story and makes uh, like what was a penny dreadful and just kind of over melodramatic and silly into like this big operatic, um, very cinematic kind of staging. And that's kind of like his hallmark are these big sweeping like tableaus that he does. Okay. and so it plays a lot like I, I think it's going to be very interesting watching you react to this because there are people in this production that people infamously hate. So, oh. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a lot of performances in this that have some very um, heated feelings, particularly the woman who plays uh, Sweeney Todd's daughter, Joanna. 
Um, they, the show is meant to be funny and dark at the same time, which is why I'm not a huge fan of the movie because the movie kind of missed that. But um, the movie missed that. The movie super misses. That sounds it. weird. The movie's very serious. It's weird. It's like yeah. for it Tim only Burton, tries that for seems com- like it's his thing. That's what he would get. I mean, he, there are like tiny moments yeah. that are kind of funny. Like there, there's one moment in the movie where they're uh, by the ocean. Yeah, and, that's the uh, best part of like, the movie. <laughs> yeah, and it's just like Mrs. Lovett fantasizing about how they could have a life together, and yeah. like Sweeney Todd's in this like 1890s man bathing suit with yeah. like vertical or horizontal stripes, yeah. and just like Ooh. looking miserable while she sings about how like oh it's great we could live together. Yeah, uh, and so like I feel like that is sort of the tone that uh, is being shot for. But for the most part, the Tim Burton movie is is very over serious yeah and uh like and then when sasha baron cohen comes in it's like a little jarring yeah. and um like the, it's kind of a weird use of your sasha baron cohen i mean i feel like it's okay it's an okay use of your sasha baron cohen it could yeah. be worse i thought he was fine in that i think he was underutilized like yeah yeah i feel like sasha baron cohen was one of the few people who knew what movie he was in yeah uh, <laughs> <laughs> like everybody else was like going for oscar gold because yeah. you know the, the plague of chicago yeah, is exactly. still <laughs> Looming over every musical movie. Oh, right, right, yeah. Because right. this was only like five years after Chicago, like when the movie mm-hmm. came out. Like, so yeah, was. it's definitely like everyone's playing it like super serious. I mean, Helena Bonham Carter's trying, but it's just like, you would Not think a good singer. <laughs> early Tim Burton would work really well with the source material, but like, no, it's just like, yeah, it's surprising. Dour. And uh, a lot of this musical is very inspired by like the works of Brecht, so very fourth wall breaking that kind of thing. Like there's constant like narration going on and stuff that had to be cut for a movie because it doesn't work kind of leaves the movie not working either because it's missing mm. so much of like the backbone. Okay. So yeah, I'm not a huge fan of the movie. I know people who I respect who like it, but it's just like one of those things that I'm like, okay, sure. <laughs> yeah. It's like, even, <laughs> even if you're not familiar with the source material, I, yeah. I guess like the word for the movie is basic. Yeah. Uh, oh. That was sort of like, Right before uh, Tim Burton went into his Alice in Wonderland right, right. Yeah. era epoch, um, just pumpkin spice everywhere all throughout the movie adaptation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's it's just it's just like you know wedding fonts and like gold slime <laughs> everywhere. No, it is wild though because I'll see like the most like wine mom of wine moms on like my friends list. Just be like, yeah, I saw Sweeney Todd. I love it. I totally identify with it. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on? Oh yeah, like, I mean you gotta give it to Tim Burton. He knows how to play to the um the normies. Uh, <laughs> the, the normies. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's like he knows how to play to um making normies feel edgy. I yeah. guess is, yeah, that's is a really patronizing way of putting it. I'm sorry, Tim Burton um, fans. Real quick question: So, Lindsay, you said you did see this, correct, or you did not? Yeah, you yeah, did. I'm familiar when when with did it. you see it? Um, I've seen uh, this version uh, a long time ago, and uh, I've seen the movie. Meaning this version, you saw this recording, or you actually saw it? Yes, like, the Angela Lansbury You were there version. in 1979, and you uh, time traveled. Yeah. <laughs> I time traveled. Well, I didn't know if there was, like, revivals and shit that they had on yeah, Broadway Well, there were revivals. We could talk a little bit about that, because, like, yeah. aesthetically, they're pretty different. There yes. was one major revival, I guess it was more than 10 years ago, right? Or it was about 10 years ago? There was a 2005 revival in uh, starring Patti Lapone and Michael Cerberus <gasps> that... Patti Lapone. Uh, yes, Patti Lapone is Mrs. Lovett. Fantastic. Um, but yeah, I remember was... you being like really, really into that. <laughs> I love Patty LaPone. There's She's funny th- as shit. Really? If you, if I you only would... know her from like a couple of things. I'm sorry. I only... This is the thing that Sarah always laughs at me for, which is I 
the only reason I knew who Patti Lapone was was from like a, uh, what is it, a Will and Grace gag that she was oh, on. Oh, okay, yeah. And I was like, oh, that lady's funny. I don't have any idea who she is. And Sarah's like, she's a fucking legend. How do you not know who Patti Lapone <laughs> is? And I was like, oh, okay, I guess so. Well, <laughs> I mean, that was pretty funny because like Patti Lapone's biggest fans are like, you know, <laughs> gay musical theater queens yeah. so yeah. she's been on a bunch of stuff in like random comedies so, so yeah. like she's funny as shit she's like prolific in tv especially yeah. in films but uh if you do like this there is a concert version of this um where she plays mrs lovett and she's fantastic in that but that there was funny. a revival in 2005 that was totally separate staged by john doyle who's a british director and um sweeney Todd's traditionally like huge cast big chorus big pit but this 2005 version only had nine cast members doing all of it, including playing the musical instruments. So, uh, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, it, I saw it twice. It was, so it was like, a little Hades Townish. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> and like the aesthetic was really like dark film noir, uh, insane aside. I, I like. I definitely think this the um, production of Sweeney Todd uh, influenced the movie while it was being made because it is mm. like this very like film noir grays reds dark but it was still super funny and probably my favorite version of it that i've seen uh it just worked really well um and i think it's a testament to just how good the lyrics are and how awesome the music is it was i love it it was fantastic but entirely entirely different from what we were gonna see what was the first version that you saw uh, this was the first version that I okay, saw. Okay, so you saw the revival in 2000, whatever the year was, you said? Yeah, a couple years afterwards. I liked musicals growing up, obviously. That's why I'm here. I love like, Les Mis and Phantom and West Side Story. That's definitely but... not why I'm here, but still. <laughs> <laughs> but I discovered Sweeney Todd in high school um, after, like, I think some people on a message board were mean to me because I didn't know it. And I listened to it. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> I'll, so show yeah. I'll show you. I'll show you. I'm going to learn about this thing. I'm going to learn about things and you can't lord your knowledge over me ever again. Um, but I listened to it and like it was unlike anything I'd ever heard before in terms of musical theater. And it just like, oh, it stuck with me really hard. And it was my intro to Stephen Sondheim. It kind of blew everything out for me in terms of what musical theater is is capable of doing. So. I, I love Sweeney Todd. Okay. All right. All right. That's a pretty good endorsement. But you guys have also said this about Phantom of the Opera, so I can't <laughs> I fucking like, trust shit. I was about to um, say, I was like, I, I mean, yeah, you got to bear in mind, like, I'm still, like, I, I guess my, my, my issue with Sweeney Todd, or I guess with Sondheim in general, is I think a lot of the issue that you have with Andrew Lloyd Webber, which is, like, I, I know that there's, like, sort of a joke among Sondheim fans where they joke about how, like, non-Sondheim fans, like, oh, I can't remember any of his melodies, and I'm like, I'm totally like that. You put a gun to my head, I don't think I could remember a single Sondheim melody, except for, say it with me, Send in the Clowns. Um, I guess I can remember, can remember a little bit from Sweeney Todd, like something, something when you get it. And that's it. Yeah. If you got it, <laughs> get, get it. it. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, no, I'm like running through it in my head. I can't remember any melody from Sweeney Todd or okay. Into the woods. I can remember into the woods to grandmother's house. And that's it. <laughs> Um, and I've seen Into the Woods uh, live, and I've seen the movie. So, it, uh, oh wait, Agony. I can remember Agony. Yeah, that but that's just flat. because Chris Pine was taking his shirt off. Yeah. Um, what, what production of Into the Woods did you see? Was it? I saw the Pace University. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> live starring Elizabeth Hansen Aww. as uh, Cinderella's mother and a witch or something and ensemble. Mm-mm. Yeah, the movie also <laughs> sucked too. <laughs> I'm glad we chose this instead of Into the Woods, because this one sounds like it's slightly more fun. 
I, I think you'll like it more than I do, honestly, because I feel like my problem with, with Sweeney Todd in general is just how nihilistic it is. Mm. Uh, so I, I th- it just never really jived. But then again, who knows? I haven't really paid attention to it since the movie came out. Because uh, this, this live version used to play on like PBS all the time. Okay. Um, that that's I guess kind of where it like uh, gained popularity before it got revived. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe, maybe as an adult, I I will um, see it through more mature eyes. Yeah, like this used to be my favorite show, and then I kind of fell away from it for the same reasons. I was like, you know, I still respect it, but it's just kind of like a worldview that I don't get anymore. And then you know, I picked it up a couple of days ago because I knew we were going to talk about it, and I listened to the original cast recording, and I was like, no, this is still great. Um, so like I hadn't listened to it in a really long time and was like looking forward to skipping through it. And then I just found myself just like totally immersed in it again. And it's just, it's, it's an interesting musical in 2020. I'll yeah, just right. Leave it at that. I was like, nihilism sounds like the fucking name of the game right now. Shit, <laughs> boy, you're gonna love it if you like some nihilism. It is yeah. very fatalistic. Yeah. <laughs> Not you a lot of faith. In nothing. In, if you'd <laughs> yeah. have zero faith in human nature, have we got a musical for you? Yeah. Sounds good. You will just love to be depressed by Sweeney Todd. All right. Yeah. I won't even be depressed. It'll just be the normal movie. We were just talking about this before when we, when we first got on the call. <laughs> Lindsay's like, how's it going? And I'm like, everything's shit. And she's like, yeah, me too. And I'm like, it doesn't even mean anything anymore to say things yeah, are shit. Yeah, just like, we should just stop asking, how are yeah. you doing? And just assume, like, instead of saying, how are you doing? You should just be like, hey, sorry about your life. Yeah. yeah. Has it gotten worse is the question you should yeah, ask. <laughs> I will say there's a big song in the show where the one of the hooks is, we all deserve to die. Oh, so. shit. That slaps. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> really, really, really kicks now. No, we all deserve to die. Tell you why, Mrs. Love, tell you why. Okay, because we're going to go read the, or I guess I'm going to go read the ad read, and then we'll come back having watched Sweeney Todd. Ooh. We all deserve to live. <laughs> <laughs> this episode is sponsored by CuriosityStream a subscription streaming service with thousands of documentaries and nonfiction titles. You can also get access to our streaming video service, Nebula, when you sign up for CuriosityStream using our code at curiositystream.com slash musicalsplaining. That's the name of the podcast, in case you'd forgotten. Nebula is a video streaming platform built by and for creators, not by some corporate drone, terrible Silicon Valley types who don't love puppies. We love puppies here. We're very pro-puppy. When CuriosityStream is all about big-budget non-fiction videos, we're building Nebula because we want a place for smaller, independent, education-ish creators to try out new ideas that might not work out on YouTube. You know, like mom-and-pop kind of stuff. With Nebula, you can see original... Ugh, content? Again. But anyway, you can see original content from creators like CGP Grey, Chris Exog, and eventually Lindsay and I will have some Nebula originals tying in with this very podcast that you're listening to right now. Assuming that you are actually listening to this ad in this podcast and you haven't skipped through it, I really hope you haven't, because this is extremely entertaining for anyone who's listening to it, I imagine. Probably. Anyway, those Nebula originals will be made with the support of CuriosityStream. And so, in conclusion, you can get CuriosityStream plus our streaming service, Nebula, for only $2.99 per month, or $19.99 for a full year? That's an insane deal. You gotta do it. So go ahead and visit CuriosityStream.com to learn more. And now back to the podcast. We're back from the ad read. 
That worked better this time, I think. I would agree. <laughs> yeah. Sex, which is, I mean, what do you mean this time? Yeah. So, <laughs> this is, this is the, so this we is, had some fun. We're professionals. Yes. Yeah, total professionals. This we totally... had some fun. Yeah, we had some fun, really relatable experiences over the past <laughs> couple days. One in which we had a recording problem. Uh, we had actually already done this whole second part once and then found out that it had not recorded on a certain person's end that we will not go into. But... <laughs> Who could that person be? I don't know. He... Uh, so I, much I... like uh, much like Tenacious D, this is a tribute to the part two that we originally created. <laughs> So yes, anyway. but I don't know. Like, it was kind of a good thing because uh, the the first version of this, uh, we ended up talking a lot about the Tim Burton movie, yeah, yeah. Uh, which Kava hadn't seen. So this this gave us an opportunity to all be on the same page, yeah. Instead of having two people having a conversation and one person being like, "Well, I haven't seen it, but knowing Tim Burton, I bet there's some eyeshadow." <laughs> <laughs> There is a lot of eyeshadow in that movie. Helena, I bet Helena Bottom Carter is featured prominently. Yeah. I mean, honestly, though, with the three of us recording, it usually is the two of you guys talking about something at Infinitum. <laughs> and then me just being like, okay, cool, I get it, Phantom. Yeah. <laughs> There's like no... Did, did you see my jacket? I oh, did wait, notice your sweat, yeah. Uh, yay! <laughs> yeah, uh, there, it's usually just like um, Lindsay and I talking while Kaveh's just like making more and more contorted faces as yeah, time just like, passes. Uh, the ADHD kicking in and me just like, trying to like bounce off the walls. So anyway, so Sweeney Todd. Sweeney Todd. The Demon Barber of Fleet Street. Yes. yes. Uh, is a 1979 musical by uh, Stephen Sondheim with mm. lyrics by... Stephen Sondheim. Sondheim. Oh, Stephen Sondheim. <laughs> and, oh, no, I'm thinking of orchestrations by another dude. Jonathan Tunick. Uh, yeah, who also did the orchestrations for the movie, yep. which we're not focusing on, hard nope. as it will be. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the version the version we watched was uh, a 1980 touring production starring George Hearn and Angela Lansbury. Mm-hmm. Um, it was it's kind of one of these weird productions that's a little censored because it like aired on PBS a bunch. Uh, so like some of the more questionable stuff was cut out. Um, mm-hmm. Some of the it was as gory as it could have been. Yeah. Um, Split Me Muff still made it into it, though, right? Split, Split Me Muff. Muff. <laughs> Do you know what made it into it? Poppin' Pussy is my favorite Sondheim quote. <laughs> I just love that you can do ellipses, poppin' pussies, ellipses, and then Stephen Sondheim, and it's 100% accurate. Like, <laughs> yeah. Cool. Well, I mean, that's one of those things where it's like, well, you know, <laughs> it's fine when you mean, like, you're killing and eating cats. Yeah. Like all kinds of weird. I don't even understand how censorship works, honestly. Yeah. Well, it's <laughs> primarily the one scene where the judge, you know, whips himself into completion, which. Oh, I didn't. Okay. I don't yeah. think I, that's yeah, not in the that, movie either, is it? N- no, no, it's not. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. All right. That's, ser- that's very different. I could see why yeah. that would get cut. Yeah. It's also just like very, um, I, you know, and I, I say this as a Sondheim fan who loves not just his lyrics, but his music, but it is very like. Uh, like the music is just kind of like yeah to me it feels okay. unnecessary I know people who think it should be in there and most productions do keep it but I'm not a huge fan I don't think it's necessary yeah okay. it's, it, I feel like y- y- you get it yeah <laughs> it's, and it's already kind of troubling enough like in, in the in the uh, 1980 film, film version whenever he's like whenever we first see the two Joanna and the judge in a scene together and he like urges her back indoors leeringly and she's yeah. like oh no yeah. I'm gonna get 
get abused again and he's like <laughs> yeah. we get it yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. like that's bad enough yeah uh, but anyway so Sweeney Todd the demon barber of Fleet Street is the story of uh, Benjamin Barker a surprisingly sympathetic serial killer who, uh, gets uh, has a very good reason for serial killing yeah uh, he gets uh, he, he's got a hot wife see well not that kind of <laughs> hot wife <laughs> Well, oh. I mean, the judge wishes the it judge was that wishes, kind of hot yeah. wife because the judge wants uh, the judge <laughs> the judge wants his hot wife two words yeah. to <laughs> to you know to cuck uh, Benjamin Barker, but she's not feeling it. No, so, um, so, he, so he, her. yeah, he he sends Benjamin Barker to Australia, which at the time was a penal colony, uh, on a on a false charge, and then he's like, "Well, your husband's gone," and she's like, "Nah, still not feeling it." So he lures her into uh, his frat party. <laughs> uh, gets her drunk and then rapes her in front of everybody. Ugh. And so, like that—that's very sad. And yeah. then, when you know Benjamin comes back under a new moniker of Sweeney Todd, the mm-hmm. Vengeance King, yeah. <laughs> um, finds out all this horrible stuff has happened. Not only has his wife, you know, been poisoned by herself, uh, his daughter <laughs> has been adopted by the the man who tried to cuck him. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. And so uh, vengeance ensues. He then meets the the new, uh, I guess, landlady who owns a meat pie shop where he used to live. And, uh, you know, she's, I guess, a bit of an opportunist. So they team up in their vengeance. Yeah. She, he's on a vengeance quest. She's just here to party, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> she's here to make some money. Yeah. She's here to sit on that D. Because, like, yeah, it's, it's implied she was their downstairs neighbor when, mm-hmm. like, the original events, the inciting events uh, 15 mm-hmm. years earlier happened. And she's just long wanted that pale she cock. Wants, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that, that incredibly, incredibly translucent wee wee. Yeah. She just wanted that, like, wow. hurt, like, that, <laughs> that, like, that bad, flaccid page boy haircut with that. <laughs> I mean, you got, you got to give it just like the, the there's like the consistent thread across all Sweeney Todd's yeah. is way too much eyeliner or way too much eyeshadow. Yeah. yeah, everyone's got a lot of eyeshadow and a lot of feelings. Yeah, yeah, and somewhere along the line, it goes from vengeance quest to I don't know. I'm just gonna kill everybody. Murder yeah. quest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just murder. And then Mrs. Levitt's like, cool. Well, I'm why not? Uh, fuck it. As long as we can make money. Yeah, you know, meat's expensive and yeah. humans are made of it. So, yeah, it tastes like pork. At least that's what I heard. You know, and that's the real moral of Sweeney Todd is that he was not paying attention to the woman that was supportive of him. He was trying to, like, long for this woman that wasn't around anymore. And mm-hmm. he couldn't realize that beauty was right in front of him. She yeah. loved him for yeah. who he was. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. We, it's true. We, like, look at, look at, find someone that looks at you like Mrs. Lovett yeah. looks at Sweeney Todd. Yeah. Flaws and all. She knew yeah, it and she was like, she, she leaned into yeah, exactly. it. Yeah, exactly. Imagine being embraced so completely. I mean, just get like, you a girl like Mrs. Lovett. That's what you gotta she, do. She knows all of his luggage. Yeah. Like, yeah. And it's just like, that's cool. You yeah. do you, baby. Uh, you I support so lucky. you. I know. <laughs> Find yourself a Mrs. Lovett. You know, yeah, I, I, I've said this, but Sweeney Todd and Mrs. Lovett walked so that Joker and Harley Quinn exactly. This is something I didn't really think about yesterday, but only really thought about upon rewatch. Is mm-hmm. like, so I feel like I'm I'm the only vegetarian here, or at least the only one that has like I consist. I would think I'm going to be on the back? same thought. Oh. Uh, oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I, I was thinking like this is a this is an anxiety. This anxiety of like not knowing what's in your food and like what mm. like what human flesh tastes like. Yeah. This is just an anxiety I can't relate to. <laughs> um, especially like you know because I, I I do eat fish sometimes, but like I haven't eaten anything 
closer to, you know, humans on the evolutionary tree than that mm. in like since the 90s. Um, part of the reason I don't eat meat is because I feel like pigs especially are just too close to humans mm-hmm. uh, from an evolutionary perspective. Mm-hmm. And I just feel like that, you know, it's it's like just kind of fundamentally revolting to me. Sure. And, That's interesting. Um, yeah. Yeah, and so I'm just like this thing. This is an anxiety I can't really relate to. Uh-huh. So, um, and that's just something I hadn't really considered because I'm like, well, yeah, meat's gross. <laughs> Don't eat it. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, what difference does it make whether it comes from a dead human body or a dead pig body? Yeah. So I don't know. I'm curious how that strikes how that strikes people that actually do eat meat. So I I, I eat some uh, meat now, and uh, I think I was thinking about this last night too. Not so much that it wasn't like a horror. That I could relate to, but that in a weird way, Sweeney Todd makes a very good, strong case for vegetarianism. Because yeah. <laughs> I was just like, well, yes, because we... Because uh, you can't tell. No, <laughs> you can't tell. And it's also just like, I think the the emphasis, especially on just um, where Sweeney Todd slides into this moral event horizon where he stops caring about, you know, killing people because they've wronged him versus just killing everyone. You know, like, it becomes like this machine that is just slaughtering meat over and over again, you know, like, and 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 specifically the, the line about like, you know, it's men, you know, people eating people, men eating men, who am I to deny them that? Yeah. You know, because I think that was, you know, a, a, a thing about like his philosophy as a character is it is like, it's inherently flawed and it's contradictory and it's illogical, but at the same time, it's also kind of hard to argue with. Yeah, who are we to deny it? Anti-industrialization you know? message that's happening in this. I didn't think about that at all, but I'm a person who eats meat. I got to say, I didn't think anything about that. <laughs> Which, And I'm not even like a person who eats like terrible shit, but like I was more, I think I was more fixated on the whole class warfare part of it more <laughs> than like whether or not like where my meat comes from. But yeah. I mean, we're joking, but we're not because, you know, consuming meat just has now become conflated with, you know, not just like, you know, global warming, but also just mm-hmm. like affordability and the way meat is processed. Like For sure. Yeah. Like it's it just, is so different now because like, you know, at the time, you know, they keep talking about how meat's hard to get a hold of. Yeah. And now it's like we're kind of in this other like way opposite direction where Too there's like meat. a massive surplus and it's subsidized by the government. Yeah. yeah. And uh, it's interesting because like because uh, I, I, we had a friend just move out here and he drove across the country. And he said that like when you drive through like cow country, there's this like huge pushback against like brands like Beyond and Impossible mm-hmm. um, because they're just so threatened. by Yeah, they're putting them out of a business. Essentially. Yeah. And and I'm just like, it pisses me off, not just on like a moral level, but I'm like, y'all fuckers are subsidized on so many levels. Yeah. Meat should be so much more expensive than it is. Yeah. And, you know, like, and, and it's, and it's hurting everybody. It's like, it's bad for you. It's killing the environment. I hate that it's subsidized and it bothers me. And for them to act like they're the victims here. Yeah. When like beyond an impossible have to survive with no subsidies and just like, you know, prestige. I don't know. We're, we're going way off rails. But like, (laughs) I I don't know. Like, I guess I I was like, I, I made me think a lot about that when, uh, you know, just, just like, you know, the relationship of like, you know, our bodies to, uh, you know, the food that we consume, you know, and its relationship to this idea of like, you know, class warfare, which honestly I don't see because mm. I think it would be more interesting if they had gone that way, but they didn't. Yeah. He specifically is like, we're going to go for everyone of all classes. We're not going to discriminate, which again is this very South Park illogical. Like, that's not how the world works. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. you know, like it, you, you can't be an equal opportunity uh, discriminator. That's just not, you know, it's not how, you know, class privilege works. 
I just had like a nightmare vision of PETA staging a production of Sweeney Todd. <laughs> <laughs> no. As like a publicity we should, like, we should stop her giving farm. them ideas. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, shh, they might hear us. It's starring like Jenny McCarthy. Like, God. Like, oh. <laughs> so Alicia Silverstone makes her comeback. Uh, yeah. Oh, boy. Man. You know, I spoke it out loud and it's 2020. So oh, no. it's coming in 2021. The pigs are all going to get vaccinated and then piss everybody off. <laughs> uh. So to me, inherently, right? The fact that his main antagonist is this judge. It's this person who has a certain amount of power, who is of a certain class, and he's a person who basically has been... It's it's about the prison system, right? He goes off to fucking Australia, goes to jail, and comes back, and there's no opportunities for him, so he has to fucking do whatever. <laughs> so inherently, even though he is murdering randos, like the ultimate bigger goal is like, fuck this person that like has enough power that was able to destroy my life and face no consequences. So it's like he becomes this... I guess vigilante for a lack of a better word. Not that he's doing anything nah, moral, but yeah, in his yeah. own head. <laughs> in, his in his own, own head. head. He, he yeah. becomes a serial yeah. killer. Yes. Yeah. Of course. I'm saying in his own head, this is and this is sort of what we talked about before, is like he's it's Walter White, right? He's the guy mm-hmm. who like he created this villain and or he didn't create a villain. That villain exists. Yeah. But mm-hmm. he created a justification structure in his brain that sort of allows himself yeah. to engage in awful behavior. But it is to me, still rooted in class and power mm-hmm. and, and prestige and having access to things as opposed to people who don't. I, I just always found that the greatest irony is like, you know, he's mad at this judge who sentenced him wrongly. And by the end of it, he has become a judge. Yeah, who yeah, exactly. Sentences, yeah. You yeah. know, the, the intent of the show is to kind of underscore how wrong he is about his own philosophy, like how illogical it is, mm-hmm. uh, because like you said, it, it is about like pushing back against power and class. But yeah. if that's true, then w- you can't just murder indiscriminately. Sure. Uh, that doesn't make any sense. And like whenever he talks about like how everybody deserves to die because like there's two types of people, the oppressors and the oppressed. Yeah. The oppressors deserve to die because they're immoral and the oppressed deserve to die because, uh, you know, life is shit and we should relieve them because of it. Because in all of the whole human race, Mrs. Lovett, there are two kinds of men and only two. There's the one staying put in his proper place and the one with his foot in the other one's face. Look at me, Mrs. Lovett, look at you. Obviously, he doesn't really believe that because he doesn't kill indiscriminately. He doesn't kill Mrs. Lovett and then whenever people come in with, like, wives and children, he doesn't kill them. And even in the show, like, and this is one thing, kind of difference in the movie that I I kind of preferred in the movie is, like, in the show, whenever... his, you know, spoilers, his wife wanders in and he spends a couple minutes trying to get rid of her. Yeah. And then he's like, I don't have time for this. And then he kills her. Yeah. Whereas in the movie, it's like he shows zero mercy at right. all, uh, which I I don't know. To, I, I kind of prefer, like, just as, as a personal taste thing. But I think it, like, depends on what you like in your Todd. Do you want one that's, like, a little more human or just, like, a stone-cold villain? The way the show pulls back from, like, total nihilism is by, like, through the text showing how wrong his underlying philosophy is and how illogical and how it's just inherently contradictory. Yeah. And tragic. But, but do you th- but do you think that's inherent in him, or is that him becoming that way as a result of those things that happened to him? Right. That's sort of the the question. I, mean, I feel I like think- the stage show asks that question more than the film does, and this goes back to what we had been talking about in this magical recording that we did that no one will ever hear. <laughs> uh, in which I said, like, the first act really just sets up why he does what he does. Like the whole mm-hmm. first hour and fifteen minutes. Like yeah. you can almost imagine if if. If Lucy hadn't been taken away and his daughter hadn't been taken away and if he hadn't gone to jail because of the corruption of, of the of the judge and, the, and his position of power, would he have ever become a serial killer? I think the question, I mean, the way that I would answer it is like, I don't think he would have. I don't think he would have gone to that point, mm-hmm. which, again, goes back to the whole fucking Walter White thing where it's like, 
well, if he hadn't gotten cancer, would he become an insane fucking drug kingpin or was that always in him? Well, like, I love the emphasis on, like, mechanation and, like, the whole factory aesthetic because uh, – so this uh, – bear with me here. Um, so the, the, the Ballad of Sweeney Todd theme is an inversion of, of, of the DACRA and it's very intentional – in that, like, it, it sets, like, this sepulcher, like, kind of death funerary tone. And why I like the ballad numbers in the stage show and why, you know, I get why they were cut from a film version. It'd be very jarring to film it. The lyrics themselves paint this, like, kind of almost, like, factorization, mechanization of Todd into something that is inhuman. Because it starts off in the past, like, his skin was pale, his eye was odd. And by the time you get to the very ending, it's like... It's not his needs were few, his room is bare. It's like his needs are few, they're bare. He doesn't use his chair. The more he bleeds, the more he lives. He never forgets and he never forgives. And it's just like Todd has become not really a person, but just like this entity of death, like this force, you know? And so like when, you know, Toby kills him at the end, I've seen some versions staged better than the 1980 one, you get this idea that like there's always going to be someone to fill this, like this this kind of force this darkness that 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 feels almost innate in this universe there's always going to be someone to fill that like vacuum you know you, you know what's what's weird is to me too is like i grew up watching this is going to be a weird parallel but <laughs> you know i i've seen my fair share of like iranian art house films mm-hmm. right and and especially the ones that came out in like the late 90s i mean really like a lot of them but they're basically all the same they're all like the city is bad. <laughs> like, you know, it's <laughs> the corrupt. Country is good. The country is good. Like, be be a wholesome, good person. Don't worry about the corruption of, like, you know, the Western world. So basically, it's all Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Kind of. <laughs> but it's always, you know, there's a couple of, like, famous ones where, like, it's just like, oh, some guy was living in the, ci- in the, in the, the rural area, and then he has to go to the city, and he has to become, like, a fucking motorcycle taxi driver. Or I sorry, a motorcycle rider, and then that fucks him up, and he gets money, and then that corrupts him, and then he starts doing all these things. Whereas if he had just stayed home and like worshipped God, he wouldn't have had to worry about any of this shit. Like that's sort of what I was thinking about the whole fear of industrialization. Like that, that kind of rings true to me a little bit. Yeah, it is interesting how, um, like the you know the descent into like you know, madness and serial killerness is tied with industrialization, which is another thing that we talked about in the, in the <laughs> earlier recording. Uh, and that in particular is, is goes back to like the penny dreadful that the, um, the musical is based on uh, is that there is this sort of like, you know, part of why this story is so memorable is this idea of like this mechanized chair and this contraption that he builds, uh, which is another thing like you can do in a movie, uh, better than you could do in the stage show because in the stage show it's just like it turns into just basically like a recliner and people just slide into it gently into like a water slide. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas in the movie, basically what they do is exactly as it's described in the Penny Dreadful, which is the chair slides backwards and people go head first into the hole and they actually what kills them is the fall. Like he generally the way he killed people wasn't by slitting their throats because that makes a huge mess. Blood uh, force head he, trauma. Basically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He would kill them by like dropping them down a 20 foot hole and they break their necks. And if they survive the fall, then he'd slit their throats. Uh, But like tying that in like that mechanization in with murder and with actual consumption of human flesh is like, you know, because I think it's like the penny dreadful is obviously it's bad. It's a penny dreadful. But like, (laughs) like the themes are interesting, you know, and the fact I think that the, the that theme, that connection of like fear of industrialization with like the consumption of meat and the consumption of flesh and uh, like the ease with which 
it makes it, you know, it's like makes it easier to kill somebody or even in this case, kill like hundreds of people. I think that's why it has stuck around long enough for, you know, it to become a, a huge hit musical. Yeah. It's a bit Luddite. <laughs> it's kind of a Luddite, right? He's just like, yeah, oh, no, it's very Luddite. I don't yeah. like technology. Yeah, to go back to like the question of like why he does what he does and how the stage show goes into it more. Um, that was another thing I was thinking about. It's just like because, again, of the Penny Dreadful origins, I'm not I'm not sure how serviced it is. The more you explain it, the more you try to make it like Walter White, because the problem with comparing him to Walter White is Walter White doesn't eat people. Like, he's, 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 a, he's a meth dealer that kills. Like he, he doesn't go anywhere near this extreme. Like it's just sure, like the, yeah. the problem, the problem with what happens in Sweeney Todd is it's just like, it's so extreme. It just doesn't drive with human nature unless they're literal serial killers. And the problem with Sweeney Todd is he doesn't act like a real serial killer because we know as serial killers, we know how they're profiled now. So it's like the problem with giving him like, uh, a really in-depth logical backstory is it just doesn't jive with human nature. Uh, and that's fine, but the sort of like the more you explain it, the less it makes sense because sure. it's such an inherently absurd premise. I had made this point before too, that I thought that it would make a really good podcast because it sounds like true crime. It sounds, there is a sense of realism to it. <laughs> yeah, where it sounds yeah. Like a bunch if, of white women try to figure out like... Right, right, right. <laughs> if you had told me that Sweeney Todd was this barber in the 1850s that like, yeah, yeah. you know, his wife was yeah. like, you know, he thought she was murdered and his daughter was kidnapped and he goes to jail and comes back and then starts this fucking, it's like this H.H. H. Holmes like insane yeah. fucking fun house. Like, I'd be like, oh so, shit. Sort of like, uh, you know, like like Moby Dick. It's like, did you know that the real Sweeney Todd was <laughs> yeah. so much worse? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm trying to put on my uh, white woman uh, true crime podcast and it's like, so I don't know if you'll find this as juicy as I did, yeah. but apparently, and this is like a thing that happened, but like they would send people to Australia and they'd yeah. be like far away from Have their wives and children. Have you ever been children. It starts with a rhetorical question, yeah. like yeah. this NPR voice of like, I've never been to Australia. Before, yeah. I've always yeah. wanted to go. Sarah yeah. Koenig. <laughs> And this seems like a, again, referencing the conversation. And, and I was texting Sarah about this last night and she was like making fun of me. And she's like, you have fucking fully crossed over. And I was like, I know I've become a monster. <laughs> and I was like, I far preferred the stage. I can't even believe I'm saying this. I far preferred the, the stage show to the film. Yeah, me too. And, and I had like an idea in my head and perhaps you guys can help me explain this to myself. Because I don't, I have a, I have a concept of this and I don't know how to explain this, but uh, what is that? It's, the call is coming from inside the house. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> she, she showed me. She betrayed you. <laughs> uh, good yeah, stuff. so Sarah texted me last night. with. <laughs> she's like, we got him. We got him. <laughs> no. And it's ironic because I, I was the person that like uh, was simping for the film. Uh, she's like, we got him. We it, it pains me. It. It's a Tim Burton movie. You know, there's on the surface of it, there's a lot of stuff I should like. But so the best way I can explain it is I think in, I think of stuff in terms of drawing a lot, right? I think of like a flat two-dimensional drawing versus a three-dimensional drawing. And certain drawings that are two-dimensional look great because of their graphicness and their sort of two-dimensional shape. And you kind of project a certain depth onto it. But then when you take these things that are 2D and you render them in 3D, it looks really fucking weird, right? So Charlie Brown being a good example of like, oh, it's perfect because of the line work and the simple colors. But then when you try and take them into like 
you know, it's like a lot of these 3D movies that people make. They just fucking look weird and it doesn't make sense in these shapes. Yeah. That was sort of how I felt about watching it on stage versus watching it um, as a film. And like the camera's swerving it around and like all these things are fleshed out. And like, yes, it's technically more interesting because it's more dimensional. But there was a charm about seeing it on a stage and seeing just the um, what's it called? The the little just the staging, but like the fucking the lazy Susan stage oh, set yeah. that they have. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Where it's like it feels flat. Yeah, Because that was one of the first like really sophisticated like setups that they had on Broadway stages yeah. that kind of like laid the groundwork for shows like Les Mis and Phantom that yeah. were like basically almost like spectacle. Although yeah. I'm surprised that like I feel like you would give the movie more points because it's shorter. <laughs> <laughs> I struggled. I struggled. Because that, that was like my like, I, you know, it's, it's funny because like we we're trying to remember things we said yesterday. Uh, my my feeling is like, because that was my spicy caliente hot take was I do prefer <laughs> the movie. And a lot of that is because they cut out the stuff I don't like in the show. Yeah. <laughs> and the main things I don't like in the show are the young love story. They cut most of that out. Mwah, thank you. And uh, the Greek choir, um, which Angie and I are in very steep disagreement I, with. She's, I love she loves it. it. I'm like, I get so bored every time. I'm just like, I can see what's happening. I can see what's happening. You're adding nothing. But does it make sense what I'm talking about in terms of being 2D versus 3D and, and the um, sort of proscenium yeah, of the just, stage? Like, oh, yeah. I just disagree completely. Okay, yeah. I wasn't I sure mean, if I that thought even saying, made sense. Okay, but yeah. like, because I, I, I have a, like an entire philosophy on like realism in movie musicals that I might make a content about eventually. But I think that like Sweeney Todd is a, is a good example of when it's done well. Uh, but I, I see what you mean. Well, I just I, don't I, agree. I don't inherently <laughs> disagree with that philosophy either, or like the concept of what you're talking about of like how you translate something from one to another. Mm-hmm. I think the issue is for me, like Sweeney Todd as a character and as a conceit is so ridiculous that when it's fleshed out to me, it just seems like it misses. It's tough. Do you kind of know what I'm talking about? Angie? I think, I think like, so for me, and even just talking <laughs> about like, um, I guess, human nature and the realism of just like is Sweeney Todd a serial killer or like can he be a human man that like has a downside and obviously like yeah that's not how serial killers in real life work but I don't think that's the point I think a lot of horror comes from in some way shape or form this idea of loss of control and Mm -hmm. like that this loss of control is baked into the horror of Sweeney Todd's Mm -hmm. slide into madness you know he is a working class man that has a family and he has it's like it's like the appeal of not to make this comparison but like falling down you know (laughs) (laughs) like it's like falling down the musical and uh but like (laughs) so like i was thinking a lot about like uh you know shakespeare's titus andronicus and just kind Uh of all the greek tragedy where Mm -hmm. cannibalism and murdering your family and madness take place and it's like they persist not because they're necessarily realistic but because they speak to very like primal fears and worries to us and i think sweeney todd the stage version does that really well and while so while re-watching the movie i liked it more than like the last time i saw it which is when it came out in theaters and i mm-hmm. hated it um mm-hmm. it just yeah like it's all kind of just like a little too literal for me you know like yeah yeah, yeah. maybe that's what it is yeah i, think like, I don't i don't think it's bad you clearly get that tim burton loves the source material yeah. and like there is care in it, and it's consistent, unlike a lot of other movie musicals by <laughs> Tom Hooper. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, 
But yeah, I think it's just like a little too like too grounded for me. I, I agree with Kaveh. Is basically I, what I'm I see it's out. more. I don't know. I think I'm just. I disagree with both of you. I oh. I don't. Yeah. I I mean, oh, it's just fight. like I get that. It I get that it's more like sedate. I don't think it's more grounded. I'd say it's like in a way kind of like tiptoes away from realism because what I meant was like I don't I don't need my serial killer musicals to be realistic what I meant was like it should be allowed to be ridiculous and I think that his motives don't need to be super mega over explained and that was why like another reason why I kind of prefer the Tim Burton movie is because like you feel for George George Hearn and like that was one of the things that's like surprised me on that like Mm -hmm. um in that stage version is like how good he is at making you feel for his pain but then I'm like I yeah. don't want to feel for his yeah. pain. <laughs> like I kind of like I, I that was one thing that that kind of surprised me on the rewatch of the Tim Burton movie it was like you know Johnny Depp's brand in the two thousands was um, so like you know quirky but likable yeah and so I thought it was an interesting choice that he went so hard and just like this villain direction with it and like you know I kind of appreciated that and like that said and we I feel like we're totally we need to we need to talk about Angela yeah. <laughs> a little bit. we're dropping the ball on Ange yeah. uh, but like um I didn't want it to make it seem like either performance was necessarily superior like mm. the Johnny Depp and Helen uh, Helena Bottom Carner dynamic versus the George Hearn and Angela Lansbury dynamic I think they're just different and I think it's like yeah. uh, the the Lansbury Hearn dynamic is one of sort of like you know the the comic and the straight man and, uh, you know, the the movie is more like sort of a little more traditional leading man, leading lady, but villains uh, with yeah. it kind of tilting more like it's more Mrs. Lovett's story, which I think is interesting. Yeah. 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 Like uh, when you see Sweeney, Sweeney Todd on stage, it's almost a lot of times you see it played as like, you know, Mrs. Lovett is the conniving one and the one who kind of latches on to Lady Macbeth. Yeah. She yeah. latches on to Todd's vulnerability and exploits that, you know, and mm-hmm. she's. Like kind of the monster turning the crank of everything, you know. Mm. Whereas, like with the the Tim Burton one, you get the sense that like Helena Bottom Carter, like I I like how low energy she is in the movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it's just that everything's kind of at that level. But anyway, but like I like how low yeah. energy she is. Like she is a woman that you get the sense that she's just kind of survived and is just kind of like grinding it out day by day, and then like she's open hearted to Todd and he takes advantage of that. Like that's the dynamic yeah. I get from the mm. movie. It's very, it's, it's very different. <laughs> yeah. And she is also like, she genuinely cares about Toby. Like I think one of my favorite moments. In yeah. The movie, yeah. That is different from the, yeah. from the stage. Like, especially for sure. like his Lansbury's like, uh, yeah. whenever she basically, they make a, dis- like a, there's a point at the show and the movie where, uh, Mrs. Lovett, who has a, basically adopted this kid, that was the kid of uh, one of one of Todd's victims. Um, she he kind of figures it out, and in the in the in the show, in the or at least in the version we watch, it's played by a grown man, and it's weird, and I don't like it. Um, and in the movie, it's played by like a ten year old kid. And so there's a there's a moment in both where Mrs. Lovett he figures out that you know Sweeney is a murderer, mm-hmm. sort of, and um, she, she decides, uh, well, he has to die. And in the show, there's not a lot of pathos. Um, she, she's kind of like play acting this mother role, but whenever it, um, she decides like, oh, he has to die. It's almost kind of like played for comedy. Whereas in the movie, she, it's like, there's this really, really long close up of like, you know, just really good face acting so good. Yeah. where <laughs> where she's just like, you can see like, it hurts her that she's going to have to do this, but she's like all in with Sweeney. Yeah. She wants that. She, she wants that. The ghost so penis. That, God, she wants it. That. Yeah. And, you know, and it is great. And while we're there, I think, like, the one thing that everybody agrees on is how great the uh, um, 
by the sea sequence in the movie is. Oh, yeah. Uh, She's wearing that like red striped, like fucking weird ass dress. Yeah. The candy cane thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I really like Depp's performance there. And I think like I love how much it underscores how delusional she is. Yeah. Because like even in her fantasy, he's just like miserable (laughs) and like (laughs) frowning. Yeah. And I I was like, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, oh, this reminds me of like my relationship in grad school. Yeah. (laughs) uh, This this guy knows what I'm talking about. (laughs) This guy gets it. Uh, we can laugh now. Yeah. Time yeah. has erased all yeah. wounds. I, mean, I was just like, I, it's kind of funny. I was like, I know exactly how she feels because yeah. it's like when you're in a relationship with someone that is just like not interested in you and is just mad all the time. Yeah. And you're just like, yeah. no, we can figure no, it out. Yeah. Let's change the color we'll palette. It. It'll be great. Yeah. It'll be good. And, and I think it is like, it also kind of underscores how it is kind of her story because like, uh, she, you know, she wants this and she's like, she, even though like she kind of knows like he's never going to get better. He's never going to be happy. He's yeah. never going to let go of this grudge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it is an interesting, like I hadn't really thought about it like literally until now, but you know, a lot of Todd's trajectory is hanging on to this thing that he knows, you know, deep down, it's not what, like when you hear Joanna in the second act, like you see how far he is originally from his, you know initial goal like he's yeah he's lost even he can feel that he's lost sight of himself you know and the same thing is happening to mrs lovett it's just like these two like oh like ah it's so good sorry i'm just like realizing this Mm -hmm. out loud i'm like fantastic the levels in sweeney todd so good i do think it would be interesting to see if it's much like beetlejuice taking the adaptation of a film tim burton film i wonder because this is also the thought i had the one last thing i'll say about the movie versus the play and then we should talk about lansbury but Mm -hmm. do you guys think that if the sets had been sort of realized uh, on the on like a stage version of it that was much more grandiose. Mm-hmm. The way that the film was, do you think that would have any impact in the way you would interpret the or how you would feel about the story? Or is it so much of it is the story, like the visual is not as important as much as it is the fundamental changes to what each character is doing in between the two versions? I see. I like. I do like the visuals in the movie themselves. It's not the visuals necessarily for me that like don't jive with me. I think it's the energy of all of the performances across the board is just like a little... Yeah, because it's very film acting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like... And like the music was written for stage acting. So I think it's like... And th- you know, that was a choice and it's like one that I completely understand. Like whenever you see movie musicals like that and you have like these really close close-ups. Again, something that I think works in Sweeney Todd. It doesn't work in Les Mis because like they have all these really, really close close-ups and they're like you know, trying to restrain themselves with this like big belty music because it's it's a movie and it's close up. So it's like by by necessity of the you know medium, the medium. they have to oh sh- rein it in obviously. But uh, it's still just like like I think Sasha Baron Cohen for me like was like pitch perfect in like how those characters are. Like he is just larger larger than life enough to like yeah feel operatic, but like. I love when he pulls it back in and he goes yeah, into yeah. like... Oh, it's so great because I remember seeing that in theaters <laughs> mm-hmm. and like... Because uh, so, there's this character played by Sasha Baron Cohen in the movie uh, who's a, pr- a pretty small part. Um, Pirelli. That he's like... Yeah, he's called Pirelli and he's, he's a fake Italian and like whenever he comes Snake in... Oil. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he, whenever he visits uh, Sweeney to blackmail him, the second he like, you know, starts with this... Like he drops the Italian accent and has yeah. this like Chav accent, got a huge laugh. He's like, my name's David. Uh. <laughs> 
<laughs> and everybody like just the theater just like cracked up yeah. like yeah it's just like I think you know it's just like one of those examples of like a, a really really small performance that's like extremely memorable so yeah no I totally get it I think like he in a weird way is kind of the best in the movie even though I totally simp for Helena Bottom Carter oh I like her in this movie a lot too I think my thing and it's like Johnny Depp is not anywhere nearly as bad as I had painted it in my head and I will give him that but it's still just like I, both him and 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 Helena Bottom Carter are so low energy that it's kind of like one of them needed to be just like, like a maybe little bigger. bit boosted. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's like because that's my thing. I'm like I don't hate Johnny Depp. No. I pro- but I in a perfect world I would have seen that part cast by somebody else against Helena Bottom Carter. Yeah, but like I'm just like I'm just sort of like he. You know, it's fine. I think again, it's like it's interesting. Whenever you when I was I was like looking at discourse yesterday, and I was kind of surprised. At, like I said, I think there's like a really big divide between like the musical theater community and the rest of the world because like film YouTube loves Sweeney Todd the movie. Mm. Uh, and because like all of the takes I was talking about like were how it was a great adaptation and how it was like really interesting and how its use of color was great and yeah. how like the use of the movie or use of the music was great um, so I, I think you know and also like because like Johnny Depp was that was the last time he was nominated for an Oscar was Sweeney Todd so it's like you know it, it is interesting how like our our perspective like I think also the fact that like Tim Burton went so so downhill after this has really colored <laughs> our memories yeah. of it yeah, yeah. It was like the last decent live action movie he made before yeah. he got swallowed by Disney and is just like mired in this like Dumbo, gelatinous. Alice oh in my fucking god! Wonderland and all this. Let's shit. get ready after for Dumbo. <laughs> yeah, after like Dumbo, like most movies look great. So like, I, I know. Uh. Like you know what? Maybe Alice in Wonderland was actually pretty good. Yeah. Like, <laughs> after after, like what what happened to you? Yeah. Anyway, anyway, Angela Lansbury. Angela Lansbury. <laughs> Angela. Lansbury. Uh, I have to say it was, it was great to watch it on Amazon Prime because we had subtitles because I could not fucking understand a word of what she was saying when she came <laughs> on the screen. Oh yeah, she she has a really thick accent. Yeah, yeah and it, it's kind of also reminds me of like how British people always say like, oh, Americans think we're all like sophisticated and classy because we have British mm-hmm. accents. I did not think that listening to Angela <laughs> Lansbury saying <laughs> She leans into like the whole 1840s penny dreadful tin pan alley grotesque yeah. vaudeville and like I I know it's a choice and some people are just like especially if they came in later to Sweeney Todd vis-a-vis like the movie or any of the productions starring Patti LaPone that it's certainly a choice but um I I love it I still I am always it. going to love it no, like, I liked it yeah I think it really is a taste thing because again it's like uh since the stage show is like has a much more comedic tone mm-hmm. and like the dynamic of the two leads really is like she's the comedic foil and he's the straight man. Yeah, but at the same time, it's like what we were talking about yesterday. It's just like, but what's her motivation? Why is she doing yeah, yeah, yeah. this? That's what I was thinking about. Was yeah. Like, so it's sort of like it's mostly, yeah, just like a comedic performance for its own sake without a whole lot of underlying logic, which is fine. Again, like to to re- to repeat myself, it doesn't it can, it's allowed <laughs> it to be ridiculous. Be every, yeah. I mean, yeah. I did think, though, like even in the stage version, like he's he gets a whole backstory and like a reason and a motivation for doing yeah, that. Yeah. That is true. And hers is just like, yep. Uh, it's fucking eat people. No big deal. Yeah. She's, and it's her idea, too, where she's like, yeah. you know what would be fun? Yeah. <laughs> like, I've got this meat grinder. I haven't been using it. Ben, you've got a dead we, body. we got some yeah. bodies. Uh, Which I did I did buy into it, seeing how ridiculous she was. And I was like, fuck it. Yeah, let's do it. I think she yeah. like, makes a convincing case. But I would be interested mm. in yeah. that stage version to have learned more about like what like, the fuck's her deal. I think the strength of the grotesque kind of like 
takes it like like yeah, yeah. this is this is mm-hmm. and that's why the second act is so much fun because like you kind of take it for not I guess granted but like you're like oh Mrs. Lovett is a grotesque cartoon yeah. and then as the second act unravels and it just like really you just like really see again how like she's kind of egging Todd on into this like path mm-hmm. that he's on because it benefits yeah. her like you just kind of the, the monstrousness of her just like yeah because like in the in the stage show her her like increasing wealth is much more played up mm-hmm. uh, whereas opposed to the movie it's like much more about her being in love with him which it comes in really late too i was surprised it's literally like the last like 18 minutes is when she, she they show her wealth in the film yeah where yeah. it's literally the midpoint it's beginning of yeah, act yeah, two in the and stage like play. she has the like her her costume in the stage show is so different between mm-hmm. act one and act two mm-hmm. as opposed to in the movie where it's like you can just like a nicer version of the dress she was yeah. wearing in yeah. act one yeah and the change of the set how her drawing room has like a harmonium that she like got from a church that burnt down yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that got a big laugh well that also that kind of like goes into uh a discussion of the ending because i think that's another kind of trade-off is when, because, you know, as in The Penny Dreadful, Sweeney Todd does kill her, but he kills her in a much more poetic way in the in the stage show. In The Penny Dreadful, he poisons her, uh, which I noticed in the movie uh, was actually referenced because, uh, um, like, upon rewatch yesterday's, uh, whenever uh, Sweeney lures the beetle upstairs, he uh, he offers him some bay rum. And that was uh, what he used to poison uh, Miss Lovett in The Penny Dreadful. Uh. Uh, but in the, in the show, he... Shoves her in an oven because it's very graphic poetic. too. Yeah, yeah. it's much yeah. more so graphic in the movie. You're yeah. seeing her oh, fucking is... head on fire. Wow, yeah, it's yeah. Crazy. I just I have so many questions about their marriage. Yeah, uh, but anyway, <laughs> but, yeah, but anyway. Uh, it, it, side note, it is really funny. Like listening to Helena Bottom Carter talk about like his aesthetic. She's like, he likes what he likes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he likes he likes silent film actors. I don't know. Yes, we always have this eyeshadow, uh, but like. As I was rewatching the ending in the stage show, because, uh, like, you know, this was something we were talking about yesterday, it didn't really work for me because, you know, one, you don't really feel when Mrs. Lovett gets incinerated other than, like, aw, Angela Lansbury's yeah. gone. <laughs> but then she comes back because of the, like, Brechtian tone of the show. Sure. Um, and then uh, when Toby comes back, Toby the kid who has, like, run away because they're going to kill him, but, like, you know, tragedy has struck because, like, oops, Sweeney <laughs> killed his wife. Yep. Um, uh, and because, like, you know, vengeance cycle, we destroy the thing that we love if yeah. we're just killing indisc- indiscriminately. He comes back and he has, like, this weirdly long scene where he's kind of, like, monologues and he talks about how it's bad to kill yeah. people. And then he just kind of wanders around and then he, like, sees the knife and he's like, okay. Yeah. And then he just slits Sweeney's throat because Boom. what else am I going to do? Yeah. And it, just, it was just, like, very, like, I'm not, like, because I'm just, like, I don't really see the point here. I don't really see a, a theme of, like, a cycle of, of vengeance and violence being perpetuated, mm-hmm. at least in that version of the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that was the weakest part of it. This, yeah, but like, I, I'm not a huge fan of, like, one, when they kind of take that, like, is it a simpleton or a boy, you know, and they don't make a clear yeah. decision as to which is always weird, too. It's just, like, the fright wig's really bad, and, like, it's kind of, kind of makeup <laughs> that, like, should never be filmed up close. Yeah. And, and, and three, it's just kind of, like, I don't know, it just doesn't quite work. Yeah, it just feels yeah. kind of abrupt. Like, it, it worked really well in the 2006 adaptation of it, because they made it a framing device where it was, like, Toby's story not Toby's yeah. story but Toby is like the Toby's the Nick Car the Nick Yeah Nick's the Car yeah he's the Nick Car yeah the Great Gatsby he's, version of it. Yeah, yeah in the in the Leo DiCaprio Great Gatsby Can you imagine fucking Toby Maguire playing him just being Yeah like, 
I'm just yeah. imagining like Leonardo DiCaprio toasting him with like a glass of blood, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and then it's like just that. like the the Boslerman. <laughs> like, you know, I would watch <laughs> the <laughs> fuck out of that. Oh my god! And then like Jay Z's like, uh. <laughs> dude, I will totally watch a Boslerman version of fucking Sweeney Todd with the yeah. with DiCaprio. I mean, I'll watch 100%. a Boslerman version of anything. I, yeah, me too. I, I, yeah, I'm just like even when he's that's, bad, he's that's <laughs> what they should have done. Fuck Burton. It should have been Baz Luhrmann. Oh my god, that should have been oh. that would have been so much better. Uh, so. Bad. Much more ridiculous. If by better you mean way worse. Yeah, yeah. ridiculous. I mean, we well, we just I, I forget if you were there. We just did a Zoom rewatch of the uh, Baz Luhrmann uh, Great Gatsby, oh and it was God. honestly so much worse than it's I remember. It's <laughs> pretty. <laughs> it is. It is like because I remember it being like, well, that's a take, and then we upon rewatch, I was like, Whew. yeah, yeah. Whew. I don't remember it. I would have it, it bad. Yeah, it bad. <laughs> It's, it's, bad. it's not good. There's uh, there's a lot of, oh, God, just sweaty, yelling. Uh, yeah, I would have loved to have seen a Sam Raimi, Sweeney Todd. Uh, uh, I know I said that <laughs> yesterday. So the camera like, work is Yeah. <laughs> lots of side shots. So, yeah, um, so I think, like, that was another, like, improvement I thought on the movie was that, it, like, it, it streamlined the ending where I think it, like, it, it does a much better job if the if there is a point to be made about, like, this cycle of vengeance, like, basically being endless where Toby was, like, this sort of kind-hearted yeah. kid uh, that after seeing these horrible things happen and being betrayed in this way just instantly takes up the mantle of cold-blooded killer yeah. that Sweeney is now, like, abandoned because he, oops, he killed his wife. Yeah, just the killing, uh, it doesn't work. <laughs> I'm just like, I love the imagery at the end of the movie where it's Todd bleeding out on Lucy, and I'm like, that that mm-hmm. works for me really well as, like, yeah. an, a parting image of Todd, and then, like, yeah. you know, like, that... That, that feels more thematic. Too. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's very. Cool. And I, yeah, yeah I, I like that because I think like I'm not sure how I feel um, about because like one thing we were talking about before we even started recording was about like the the Brechtian influence mm-hmm. on this production of this, and I guess arguably all productions mm-hmm. is because it was it was written to be sort of of. Uh, fourth wall breaky, uh, and the movie does away with that completely. Uh, which again, I think is like it's a medium thing. I think it's like yeah. you know, with stage shows, break that fourth wall, whatever. Fine, the audience is in the same room with you, but in a movie, it's like break it at it's your own risk. Weird, yeah, yeah. it's like it is very jarring. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, like I get why they were cut, but I, I don't. I like the show with it, so like that's always going to be again a detriment to the movie for me. But like you know. Whatever, it's not a huge deal at the end of the day. The 2006 version had nine people total, and I think it worked really well because, like, there was a big disagreement with how Prince and Sondheim about how they wanted to stage this initially and how Prince wanted to do what we saw. And Mm -hmm. Sondheim was kind of leaning more towards, like, it's a chamber piece. And I think when you reduce it down to nine people, just... something about it just feels more intimate and personal and you kind of like are along for the ride of it. Like everyone is so involved in again, like this cog of violence, you know, Mm -hmm. it's super effective. So it's like, we saw two like massive, uh, (laughs) like (laughs) cacophonies of productions of Sweeney Todd and, Kaveh and I have missed out on the on the the cool one that everybody likes. Uh, but anyway, it. yeah. Well, anyway, maybe, Sweeney Todd. I <laughs> I mean, one day they'll. Well, after we see Back to the Future the musical. Yes. <laughs> but so overall, it seems like our general consensus, although we disagree on the specifics, mm-hmm. is that everybody, especially Angie, seems to like Sweeney Todd and Sondheim. Uh, this was my first Sondheim outing. I very much enjoyed it. Oh, I great! Hope that the rest of his stuff is as good. I think you'll uh, enjoy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, any any parting thoughts you guys want to do before we wrap uh, this up? 
I, I hate Joanna. <laughs> I think we should mention uh, fucking Captain Himbo because that was oh, yeah, a funny that was line. Another, yeah, yeah, that was like our, our great through line for the for the first recording was uh, Anthony, the love interest of Joanna. Yeah. We called him Captain, Captain Himbo. Himbo. Captain Himbo. Lost it. Because like, that was another thing I liked about the movie was like, you know, the age appropriate actor. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, Captain Himbo in the show is like older than he's, I am. He's like 40. Yeah, yeah like, he's got, he's like, that hairline is creeping. Yeah. Uh, my parting thought is, don't need meat pies, don't need brains, <laughs> yeah. don't need no uh, dead ex-wife to ride this penis. Don't I don't split know. your mouth. Uh, yeah, <laughs> don't split your mouth. Yeah. My, uh, my parting thought is, uh, Beyond Burgers are pretty good. Yeah. Um, you just gotta make sure you cook them as long as you cook regular burgers. <laughs> um, and, you know, because that's a mistake a lot of people make is they undercook <laughs> them. Because, uh, you know, it's like they're designed to be cooked alongside regular burgers. Yeah. And, uh, you know, can, don't be threatened by them. And meat subsidies are bad and we should stop them. Yeah. Uh, uh, my parting thought is eating the rich sounds like a cool idea, but don't do it. That's yeah. what I learned from this musical. <laughs> See that? That's that's where I disagree. I'm like, don't eat meat unless <laughs> yeah, eating the unless fucking rich <laughs> billionaire, billionaire cow. <laughs> I will. You know, I'm do you know just how much like, this pig I, was worth? Yeah. <laughs> if I see Bezos on the street, I'm taking a bite. Yeah. Think about just, oh, someone's got to rewrite Little Priest to be about like all the big billionaires. I'm I mean, sure yeah, it'll happen yeah. on YouTube eventually. Yeah. 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 Try the Bezos. Try the Bezos. Try a little Musk. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. It's only just a husk. <laughs> I think that's going to wrap us out. Uh, we are on social media. Follow us on Twitter. We are at Musical Splainin with no G, at Musical Splainin with the G on Instagram. I am at Kavitaharian on Twitter and at Permafriends on Instagram. And I'm at the Lindsay Ellis on Twitter and at uh, Name Brand Lindsay on Instagram. Uh, and I'm Y, Angelina Y. It sounds just exactly like it is. It's an existential question and a handle on uh, Twitter. Thank you guys for joining us. Hopefully you'll be eating a lot of meat pies in the coming days. And we'll see you at the, fucking, I don't know, podcast. I hate everything. <laughs> yeah. See you at the podcast. See you at the misery. At yeah. the misery.